All over this building today, I know we've done it several times, but would you just lift your hands unto the Lord one more time in this house tonight? Would you just give the Lord a little bit of praise from the bottom of your heart with your eyes closed, your hands, your voice are lifted unto Jesus? Would you just magnify him and thank him for his presence that is in this house right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we, we give you praise. You are worthy. You are deserving. Thank you, God for the privilege of getting to feel your presence and knowing your power is real. And we exalt you, we praise you in this house today. You are worthy of our praise. And we lift up the matchless name of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We praise you, Lord. Your matchless power Never-ending mercy, grace like a river to my soul. Your redeeming blood flowing from the cross, a price no one else could pay. is forever and I found that you are the only the only one worthy the only one worthy you're the only one worthy is the only, the only one worthy of praise. I found that your love is amazing, and I found your goodness is forever. I believe that in this house you're the only one worthy of praise forever I'll bless your name your people proclaim your majesty and one day Jesus is the only, Jesus is 
Well, hallelujah. Would you give him some of that praise tonight? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I warned you this morning, is it all right if I sing something a little bit country tonight? Amen. Brother and Sister Buford's with me. The rest of you just hang on, all right? A loser without direction I drifted aimlessly On the backside of a place called nowhere Forgotten by humanity When they talked about potential they did not refer to me For everyone could clearly see What I was, I'd always be But he saw not what I was He saw what I could be yes, When he reached his hand to where I was, he took a chance on me. All he had to hope for was a possibility, but still he saw not what I was, he saw what I could be. That's your testimony tonight. Would somebody shout amen? Oh, so now you know the reason I lift my hands so willingly. Because if he had not found me when he did, I'd still be lost as a lost could be. And although I'm far from perfect I'm even further still You've seen From the life I lived just yesterday Before the Lord found me He saw not what I was He saw what I could be When he reached his hand to where I was, he took a chance on me. All he had to hope for was a possibility. Still he saw not what I was, he saw what I could a possibility still he saw not what I was still he saw not what I was still he saw not what I was he saw what I could be oh, 
that's your testimony and you're thankful for the difference Jesus made in your life, would you give him a shout of praise? Oh, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. Oh, hallelujah. I'm still thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost. That it still has the power to take a life of sin and raise it up, make it brand new. A new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. The Holy Ghost still gets me excited. Amen. It still gets me excited to know that I am not the same person that I once was, but I have been changed by the power of His Spirit. Not my good works, not my abilities or my talents, but I've been changed by the power of an almighty God. Amen. And may I just go on record and say that power is in this house tonight. Amen. It's more than just a word in the song that they sung a little bit ago. The power of the Holy Ghost is in this place tonight. And I believe somebody's going to leave filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, I got a few of you that believe that with me tonight. I said somebody, amen, can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost on Sunday night at Lighthouse Church. Amen. Amen. I, I heard there was an old preacher preaching in his pulpit some time ago, and, and he was getting all kind of excited. He was, he was screaming, hollering, and jumping, shouting, and snorting, and he stopped right in the middle of his sermon, and he said, people ask me all the time why I get so excited about Jesus. They ask me why I have to get so loud in my preaching and so exuberant and, and, and demonstrative in my worship. And he, this old preacher said, I had someone make the statement to me one time. They said this, I never read in the Bible where Jesus ever acted the way you're acting. And that old preacher said, and then it hit me. I looked back in their eyes and I told them, no, but everybody he touched did. I wonder if there's anybody in church on Sunday night. You've been touched by the master. And you've got more than enough reason to lift your hands and lift your voice. For it was Jesus that made a difference in my life. Anybody feel like praising him tonight? Anybody feel like giving him glory tonight? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a privilege it is to be back in the presence of God tonight in this wonderful church. And I give honor to your pastor and his wife, Brother and Sister Buford. I said it this morning. I'll say it again. I appreciate them so very much. And we talked this uh, afternoon at lunch, and they were telling me I remembered several camps that they came and preached in Oklahoma. And we got to talking about those, and, and they were always such an incredible blessing to uh, the camp in the Oklahoma district. And so it's a great honor for me to be here with them. Aren't you thankful for your pastor and your pastor's wife tonight? Amen. Amen, amen. I, I heard it said recently or some time ago, a preacher was preaching at a conference and he made a statement. Uh, and the statement was this, you can't be right with the master and wrong with the pastor. Amen. And don't get under conviction. I'm not going to preach that tonight, but that is good preaching. Amen. You ought to thank God every day for a preacher who will preach truth and look out for your soul. Amen. You are blessed to have a great pastor uh, and pastor's wife in this great church. Amen. It's so good to be here tonight. And as Brother Buford said, it's so great to have my fiance, Jamin, uh, with me tonight. Or, or she met me here and brought her family with her. And um, she got here, but I started talking to Brother and Sister Buford. And, and they said, well, why don't you sing tonight? And uh, I figure you heard me sing enough already 
today, and you don't like my country music anyway, so we're just going to let you know I'm playing. <laughs> I'm playing. But it is so good to have her here, and uh, she's going to worship the Lord in song tonight. I believe God, I'm, when she's done singing, I'm going to come, we're going to preach, and I believe God's going to do something great tonight. Um, I walked in, and, and somebody asked me, he said, well, you know what you're preaching? And I, I looked at him, I said, honestly, I have no idea. Buford, you know how it is sometimes. We just, a million sermons go through your mind and nothing feels right. And so I walked in and I told Brother Tim back in the back, I said, well, I got two or three directions we might go in and, and I'm not real sure. And as I walked into the office, just sounded, something kind of clicked in my spirit. And um, I said, well, this, this is what we're going to do in Jesus' name. And um, the praise team started singing about the power of the Holy Ghost and Acts chapter 2 and just confirmed what I felt as I walked through that door just a moment ago. And so Sister Jamin's going to sing. We're going to get into the word of the Lord. And I believe the Holy Ghost is going to fall in this house tonight. Anybody expecting God to do something great? Amen. Would you just one more time lift your hands and your voice. Would you open your spirit and say, Lord, just begin to work in my heart tonight. I prepare a place for your spirit, your word to dwell. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Well, it's so good to be here tonight. This whole summer, the anthem on my heart has been how good God is and how great he is. And he brings us through things sometimes that we don't always understand. But every time I step into the presence of God, everything fades away. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what my family is going through, I can honestly lift my hands in truth and say, God, you are so great. How many in here have a testimony of that greatness tonight? This simple song is going through my heart tonight. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to See 
from the innermost part of your being how great are you God Lord how great are you how great are you how great are you hallelujah if all of the if all of the universe of creation itself can declare the greatness and the wonder of God amen how much more should we people who have been bought washed redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ how much more should we lift our voices in a shout a declaration of the greatness of God. Amen. Aren't you glad you came to church on Sunday night? Amen. 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 Matthew chapter 3, one verse of Scripture, verse number 11 of Matthew, the third chapter. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11. John is preaching, and amidst his sermon, he says this. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. John says, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. When he comes, speaking of Jesus the Messiah, when he comes, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire fire. For just a few moments on this Sunday evening, I want to preach to us from this thought, the difference of two fires. The difference of two fires. Amen. If you're going to help me preach, would you shout amen. Thank you for standing. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I would say that all of us in this room tonight, we, we are familiar with fire. It's what 
uh, we were warned to stay away from as children. It's what we were amused by and infatuated with as teenagers. And it's what we are cautious of now as adults. Fires may vary in size. They may be started in different ways or fueled by various things. But for the most part, all fires appear uh, the same. Now, uh, science, some scientists may argue this fact and say that flames follow a random pattern, therefore causing no two fires to be exactly the same. But I'll say this tonight, to the normal average eye, a fire is simply a fire. Now, uh, to my highly educated and deeply profound theological perspective, I can only see two differing kinds of fire. Good fires and bad fires. I told you, it wasn't going to be deep preaching today. You want to hear deep preaching, come back next Sunday. But today, this is just all you got. I'm sorry. Two different kinds of fires, in my opinion. Good fires and bad fires. A good fire would be the flame that slowly cooks your evening meal. Can I get an amen? A good fire would be the flame that sits atop that cinnamon roll scented candle. A good fire would be that calm campfire over which hot dogs are roasted and s'mores are made. A good fire is that relaxing blaze behind frosted glass that warms your home at Christmas time. Man, can I get a witness right over here? Hallelujah. A, a bad fire would be that backyard barrel fire that falls over and burns much more than just trash and leaves. A bad fire would be the aggressive blaze that sweeps through a field of crops and eradicates the harvest. A bad fire is the tragic fire that destroys the place someone calls home. A bad fire is the flame that mysteriously gets a drink from the gasoline can. That is a bad fire. We see this exemplified in Scripture. Uh, the fire that fell from heaven after Elijah prayed on Mount Carmel, a good fire. The fire that burned up Job's sheep and servants, a bad fire. The fire that burned in the golden candlestick in the Old Testament tabernacle, a good fire. The fire that destroyed Ziklag, a bad fire. The fire, the pillar of fire that gave light to the children of Israel during darkness, a good fire. I could go on and on with, with examples of fire in the Bible, but maybe you're like I am. And one of the first stories that comes to your mind when you think of fire is that old Sunday school favorite of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel 3 records the story that King Nebuchadnezzar had built an image of gold that stood 90 feet high and 9 feet thick. He then ordered everyone in the province, everyone who was anybody at all, he invited them to come uh, to the dedication ceremony of his great statue. And people began to gather around the statue. And the Bible says that a herald began to proclaim with a loud voice, O people, nations, and languages, when you hear the band begin to play, fall to your knees and worship the golden statue that I, the King Nebuchadnezzar, has set up. Then he says, anyone who does not bow, anyone who does not worship shall be thrown immediately into a burning, fiery furnace. At that time in the story, a big band began to play and everyone from all race, color, and creed fell to their knees and they began to worship this golden statue. Everyone except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <coughs> we then read that 
there were some fortune tellers that came to the king and said, oh king, you gave strict orders. You said that when the band began to play, everyone was to fall to their knees and worship. And whoever did not worship was, would be thrown into a roaring, fiery furnace. King said, yep, that's what I said. And they said, well, there are some Jews over here. Now, ain't that just like the devil? They said, there's some Jews over here and they don't worship your God. They don't bow down and worship the image that has been set up. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in his fury and rage, uh, he called them in and said, boys, is it true? You don't serve my God. You refuse to worship the image that I have set up. And before they can answer, King Nebuchadnezzar said this, all right, I'll give you one more chance. But from now on, when you hear the music begin to play, you are to fall and you are to worship the image that I have set up. And if you don't, next time you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked back at the king and said, your threats mean nothing to us. They said if you throw us into the fire, we're going to serve you notice right here, right now. The God we serve is not only able to deliver us out of the fire, but oh king he's able to deliver us out of your hand. Then the boys said this but if not, we're still not going to bow and we're still not going to worship. It's not in my notes, but can I pause and preach for about 13 seconds? What would happen if the church got some even if he doesn't kind of faith? I know God's able. I know he's got the power. I know he can move in my situation, but we've got to have the mindset that even if he doesn't move like I want him to move, even if he doesn't answer my prayer the first time I pray it, that's not going to detour my faith. That's not going to shake my persistence, for even still I will serve him. Even still I will do what he has called me to do. great anger, Nebuchadnezzar ordered the furnace to be fired up seven times hotter than it normally was. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound hand and foot and thrown into the roaring fire. Now although I don't believe that the furnace itself was symbolic of hell due to the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were children of God. However, I do believe that their purpose for being in the furnace is symbolic of what the enemy is endeavoring to do in each of our own lives. For I find in the text that the three Hebrew boys were thrown into that fiery furnace to suffer and to burn. That was the king's motive. That was the king's intention. And I believe it to be important on this Sunday evening that we understand the motive of our enemy. Elbow your neighbor and tell them the enemy has a motive. Amen. Satan doesn't tempt you just to maintain his reputation. His deceptive and lying spirit is not just an effort to complicate your life. His evil ways are not just some harmless uh, uh, rehearsed act. Uh, Satan's motive is to destroy your life and to destroy your walk with God. Uh, for Jesus said this, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. May I tell you today that there are some things that the devil has threatened you with and maybe even brought to pass in your life for the sole purpose of making you suffer. 
Amen. Let me just give a news flash to some of you. Some of the junk and some of the chaos in your life may not necessarily be God testing you. It very well may be just the devil causing you and trying to make you suffer. For many times in our lives, his temptations are meant to bind us. His threats are intended to intimidate us. His lies are strategized to deceive us. His attacks, they are meant to destroy us. That is his motive. But just as much as he has his motives, he loves to see us suffer. His evil desires are not relegated only to this life. But we find in the Bible that he longs also to see us suffer in our eternal life. For his ultimate goal is to carry your soul to the corridor of death and plunge you into hell's eternal flame. For in that day, days of earthly temporary suffering will all be over. For that will be a place the Bible teaches of everlasting suffering. Matthew chapter 13 verse number 47 Word of the Lord says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. Verse 49, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing It's the rich man in Luke chapter 16 that cried out from hell with these words, I am in anguish in this flame. Ladies and gentlemen, I rise to declare that if there's a bad fire mentioned in the Bible, it is without a doubt hell's fire. I know, I know it's not a subject that's popular to preach on and don't just hang with me. We'll, we'll get to the hooping and hollering in just a few minutes. But I feel compelled to remind somebody tonight that hell is not a fictitious destination only existing to scare you into religion. Hell is a real place. Hell is not a party. Hell is not a social get-together for the ungodly. Hell is a place of eternal torment. Book of Revelation chapter 21 and 8 said, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murders and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. The Bible teaches this concept that for everyone who traveleth not on the straight and narrow, Jesus said, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. So many, in fact, that Isaiah said this, Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you tonight that the enemy is making room for you in hell. That is his plan. And the enemy is very capable of acting on his motives. He's very capable of fulfilling his plans. However, I've come to preach that there is one thing and only one thing that can stop the plan of the enemy. For after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been thrown into the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar suddenly jumped up in alarm and said, Hey, did we not cast three men bound hand and foot into that fire? The servant said, Yep, that's what they did. All three of them Hebrew boys, they bound them up, they threw them in. The king said, But this doesn't make sense. I'm looking into the fire, and I don't see three men. I see four men loose and walking around in the 
the fire. And he said, actually, believe it or not, on second glance, the fourth looks as to be the son of God. Can I preach tonight that the only thing that can stop the plan of the enemy is the plan of God, and that is Satan's nightmare. Yes, he has a motive. Yes, he has a plan. But I've come to preach that Satan also has a nightmare. And it is the disgusted realization that God's plan will always overcome his plan. Amen. For God stepped into that furnace with those three Hebrew boys. And what the enemy meant for suffering, God said, watch this. I'm going to turn their suffering into a supernatural experience. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. When God has a plan, he always steps in at the right time, at the right place. And God's plan will always be fulfilled. Amen. And there may be somebody in this house that the devil has you bound up in earthly suffering. But I'm preaching tonight before you ever reach eternal suffering. God's going to turn your suffering into a supernatural experience. Before you reach that place of suffering, God said, I've got something better for you. I've got something of greater potential for you. I'm going to turn your shame into joy. I'm going to turn your guilt into gladness. Fears get ready to surrender to the flag of freedom for what the enemy meant for bad. I serve a God that is able to turn it in to something good for his glory. So I hurry on. Bible teaches that after Satan was kicked out of heaven, his mission was formed and in the Garden of Eden that mission began as mankind fell subject to the curse of Sin. From that time, we read that evil and wrong made its most uh, of its made the most of its opportunity in the lives of mankind. For man became wicked; their thoughts continually were on evil. We then read that sin became so great that God became grieved in His heart. And one verse said this: that God repented for creating. Mankind. So in Genesis 7 we read where God flooded the earth and destroyed every living thing. Everything except for Noah, his family and the animals that were on the ark. If I could say it this way, the world got a fresh start. But the sinful nature of man still remained. So because of this God establishes a law or a covenant and called for the sacrifice and shedding of lamb's blood as a temporary atonement for sin. We read it all throughout the Old Testament annually. They were to offer uh, their sacrifice unto the Lord in order to have their sin debt rolled ahead to the next year. What it did was it soothed their conscience and gave them a 12 month pass on guilt so to speak but it did not set them free. They lived with the constant reminder that next year their sin and their wrong would catch it up to them and they would be reminded of all their faults and failures once more. It was Paul that referred to man as this, being dead in trespasses and sin. And what I see all throughout the Old Testament, I see this, what mankind needs is a redeemer. What mankind needs is a savior, a spotless, sinless lamb to forever pay the price of sin. 
Time travels on. We flip into the New Testament portion of our Bibles. And in the book of Matthew, right off the bat, we find a man named John the Baptist who was the New Testament fulfillment of who Isaiah prophesied as the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 that we read a few moments ago records a portion of John's sermon as he preached and proclaimed, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me. In other words, John was saying, this does not end with me. I am not your redeemer. I am not your savior. But when he comes, the one that's coming after me, he is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to bear his shoes. But when he comes, John says, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. May I interject this for just a moment? God knew we were sinners headed for hell's flame so he sent John into the world to proclaim that there was in fact a greater fire that was coming John's sermon was this the very thing your soul desires is on its way your promise is coming your hope is coming your redemption is on its way what John preached was this before the fire comes he will come in other words a a face will precede the fire you say well who is this face John 1 and 1 said it this way in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it now listen now verse number 6 there was a man sent from God whose name was John the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe the writer then goes on to declare or clarify rather who the word really is in verse number 14 when he said and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth I'm preaching tonight that before the fire come there had to be a face and it was the face of God made manifest through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm preaching that though the enemy had a plan, God said, all right, I've got a plan of my own. And that plan was flung into motion as God robed himself in flesh, was born of a virgin, stepped into our realm of suffering with one purpose and with one mission, to set free and to conquer the curse of sin. I hope I'm preaching to a one God church tonight that still believes in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. Amen. And after all of John's preaching, I'm hurrying. After all of John's preaching repentance, after all of John's proclaiming of what was to come, finally Jesus steps out from among the crowd one day and John's words were these. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Then John said this. I like his choice of words. This is he. 
of whom I said after me cometh a man. May I submit to you that before there could ever be a this is that. In Acts chapter two, there first had to be a this is he. In Matthew chapter three, because before God could ever show out on the day of Pentecost, he first had to show up on the banks of the Jordan River. And I'm preaching that's why your worship is so vital to an apostolic church service because before God can pour out his spirit, we must welcome his presence with our praise. And I I felt that's what began to happen just a few moments ago as we begin to sing about the promise of the Holy Ghost. As we begin to sing about the power that was in the spirit, the Holy Ghost began to settle down in this sanctuary. The presence of God began to saturate our hearts. And I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost, if you have never been filled with this precious gift, there is no better day, there is no better service than tonight on this Sunday evening to allow God to baptize you all fresh fresh and new with the baptism of heaven's fire. For at this juncture in scripture, the necessity and the need of heaven's fire had been established. As Jesus shows up, spends the next three years of his life performing many miracles, fulfilling many prophecies and and performing many miracles. And the, the road, the journey of his life, the dusty paths of earth, if you will, that he walked would eventually lead him to Calvary's hill where he would shed blood and suffer pain and endure mockery and ultimately lay down his life for you and die. Some would say that some would say that he, they took his life from him, but on the contrary, he laid down his life. For at Calvary, he literally took on our suffering as he was beaten and bruised and crucified. Our every wrongdoing was upon him. He felt the repercussions of our failures. He felt the weight of our every sin. But may I tell you what happened at Calvary? It was far more than just crucifixion that took place on Golgotha's hill. Ladies and gentlemen, it was the defeating of death and the conquering of sin. For I alluded to it this morning, but Jesus' famous last words were these. It is finished. Speaking of sin's curse, it is finished. And that tells me that if one thing is finished, then another thing must now begin. Once sin was defeated, salvation could then begin to flow. And at Calvary, the way was now clear for the fire of the Holy Ghost to fall. We're getting into what Sister Buford quoted just a few moments ago. Jesus was resurrected on the third day and just before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples in Luke 24 and 49, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Ladies and gentlemen, it was the final confirmation of the initial declaration made known by John when he said he that cometh after me shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Furthermore, let me throw it in for good measure. It wasn't just a sermon delivered by John. This was a promise delivered by Jesus himself. 
It was Jesus himself that said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. It was Jesus that said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. So here's the big picture. God took on man, stepped into our suffering, and then promised to replace our suffering with a comforter. Promised us to replace our hurt with hope. He promised us to replace our sin with salvation. After all the prophecies, after all of the promises, after all of the preaching, Jesus finally gives the command, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And they did just as Jesus said. They went to Jerusalem and they didn't just sit there. They didn't just go and just twiddle their thumbs. They didn't wait and said, well, we'll see if this really happens. I find proof in my Bible and I'm led to believe that they went to Jerusalem and they expected, they they anticipated, they anxiously awaited. If the Lord said it, then it will happen. If he gave us a promise, then God can't lie. God's not going to go back on his word. So they went to Jerusalem and they tarried, they waited, they expected. And verse Chapter or chapter twenty two or chapter two of Acts and verse one said this. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there, listen now. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Ladies and gentlemen, what happened in Acts chapter 2? Heaven's fire had finally fallen. What they had waited for had arrived. What they had heard about was now reality. The comforter had come. I say all of this. I've preached 25 minutes and 58 seconds. That was all my introduction. I'm finally getting my sermon tonight. My sermon sorts so to be encouraged. But my sermon tonight, what I've come to preach for the next five minutes is this. Yes, hell has prepared a fire for you, but I come with good news. So has heaven. We are not doomed to spend eternity in hell's flame. We have been given access to heaven's fire. Yeah, the devil's made plans, but baby, so has God. We can now fight fire with fire. They, I, I, I was never, I, I never liked science, but they tell me one of the best ways to put out a fire is to start what they call a backfire. I'm from Oklahoma. We got grass fires. And you may have them here in Missouri, but in Oklahoma we have grass fires. And they say that one of the best ways to stop a grass fire from spreading across the field and getting to your home is to start a backfire. And they say if that fire is over there moving this way, if you'll start a fire here that moves that way, you'll stop that fire from getting to where you live. 
They call it fighting fire with fire. And I've come to preach that the best way to keep your soul from ever reaching hell's fire is to let there be a Holy Ghost fire that breaks out in your heart on a Sunday night. The best way to stay out of hell is to get your soul filled with the Holy Ghost and make sure you are ready for heaven. Because if you'll receive heaven's flame, it'll keep you out of hell's flame. Yeah, I might have been born in sin, but baby, I was not born to burn. So Mr. Devil, when I was was about four years old, Wayne Huntley came and preached a youth convention in Oklahoma. And from that moment on, he became my favorite preacher because he got up on the second night and preached, tell hell I ain't coming. I wonder what would happen on Sunday night if we, we'd just get on the intercom of hell, so to speak, and let all of hell know that there's some people in Old Fountain, Missouri, that we are, we, we are not buying into his lies. We're not buying into this world. We're not buying into their ideologies. But devil, we just want to let you know in all of hell, all of your imps, all your, de- we're just going to serve you notice tonight that we're not coming. We've found a greater fire. We've found something that satisfies. We've said we found something that that fulfills and gives hope and gives joy and gives peace. And I close tonight with this. The fire of the Holy Ghost is like the fire wherein the three Hebrew boys were thrown. Musicians can come. The fire of the Holy Ghost is like the fire wherein the three Hebrew boys were thrown. It will burn the bonds that bind you, but it won't burn you. I said the Holy Ghost will not burn you. The Holy Ghost will never leave you disappointed. The Holy Ghost will never never let you down. The The Holy Ghost will never leave you scared and wounded. I've never seen anybody get the Holy Ghost and then walk out and say, I wish I hadn't have done that. Maybe it's happened to your church. It ain't never happened to my church. Everybody I ever seen talk in tongues and get the Holy Ghost. They said that was so easy. I wish I'd have done that years ago. I wish I hadn't waited so long. But baby, it is still the best thing that could ever happen in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that, I know this may be a little bit different tonight, but that is the difference of two fires. Hell's fire will burn you heaven's fire it will burn what binds you baptism of the Holy Ghost it will burn addictions right out of your spirit it will burn hurt right out of your heart baptism of the Holy Ghost it will burn regrets right out of you it will burn scars away I was raised to believe this. This is the way my grandpa said it. One dose of the Holy Ghost can fix a whole lot of problems. And I believe we could save a lot of time. We could save a lot of money if we just understand that one baptism of heaven's fire can do more good than anything else in this world. 
It doesn't matter what you're dealing with, ma'am. It doesn't matter what kind of sin, what kind of past has haunted you. It doesn't matter what kind of habits you've been dealing with. It doesn't matter what has held you back. I'm telling you, one touch of heaven's fire, one dose of the Holy Ghost, it can burn the hindrances right out of your soul. It can burn every hurt out, burn every regret out. It happens with one dose of heaven's fire. Hands lifted all over this building tonight. Come on, stand to your feet if you're comfortable doing so. I want you to begin to speak and to lift your hands right now. We're going to do something in just a moment, but for, for, just a, for just a few seconds, uh, would you just lift your hands and your voice right now and begin to magnify the name that is above every other name? Uh, would you begin to call on that name tonight, the name of Jesus? Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. He is mighty to save in this house tonight. His power is still real. The Holy Ghost is still being poured out. It's not something that happened 2,000 years ago and has run out or run short. But baby, the Holy Ghost is still falling tonight in 2017. And you can be baptized. You can be filled with heaven's fire. And I close with this. They're getting ready to sing. But it's a common known fact that in order to have a fire, you need wood. And I believe that as Jesus carried his cross up Calvary, what he was doing was he was giving us the wood we needed to facilitate the fire that was promised to come. Because before you can have fire, you need some wood. And before you can receive heaven's fire, you must first take a trip to Calvary's cross. What I mean is before you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that was poured out for the first time in Acts chapter 2, you must first take a spiritual journey to that hill called Calvary and through a prayer of repentance allow the blood of Jesus to begin to flow down to the ages and flow into your heart, flowing into your spirit, forgiving every wrong, covering every sin. This isn't just some feel-good experience that you just lift your hands, feel some goosebumps, and go home feeling good about. No, baby. This, this begins at Calvary. This begins with a death. This begins with bowing down at the foot of the cross and saying, God, I'm desperate to receive the salvation that you have afforded me. I'm desperate to receive heaven's fire. So right here at the foot of the cross, I receive the blood that was shed for my sin and I repent as Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 I repent, I turn away from my sin I turn away from the things of this world and I make a conscious commitment that I'm going to serve you, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to walk in the fulfillment of your spirit in my life I don't know who you are tonight and I am not just preaching to the visitor or the new convert. I am preaching to everybody in this building tonight. If you are desiring to receive heaven's fire tonight, it may be for the first time, it may be for the 121st time, but I'm inviting everyone in this building from the front row to the back row. If there is any kind of desire within you tonight to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, to allow heaven's fire to begin 
blazing in your heart. I want to invite you to come now from all over this sanctuary. I want you to gather in around this front. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter. None of that. That's all irrelevant. Jesus simply says, come. Come on, maybe there's a visitor. Maybe, maybe, there's a, maybe there's an elder that wants to experience this fresh anew all over again tonight. Come on, we're not going to put anybody on the spot. We're not going to make anybody uncomfortable. We're just going to allow you to receive heaven's fire tonight for it is the best thing that could ever happen in your life. Come on, hands are lifted. Would you lift your voice in a cry of repentance? They're getting ready to be some baptisms in a few moments. That's all biblical. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you're hungry for it, if you desire heaven's fire, I want you to just lift your hands and begin to begin with repentance. Begin at Calvary right now, Lord. I need your blood. I need the blood that was shed on Calvary to flow in my spirit today. Oh, I'm a sinner, but I need your saving grace. I need your power to flow in my life. Come on, that's it. Lift your voice. And lift your voice with a cry of repentance. Lord, I need you. I need your blood. No place I'd rather be. Come on, that's it. Hands are lifted, voices are raised.